Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, it's Lavetta. And it's Miriam. And this is the Notorious Women Podcast, a comedy podcast about some of history's most notorious women. Yes, yes. How you doing, my friend? I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. It's like fall and like fall weather. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know about you because you're in Florida, but Ugh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry for reminding you of like where you are currently, but I did that. Um, So that's good. We're good. How about you? Yeah, I'm hanging in there. I, um, I've been staying offline, so I've been trying to keep my, my sanity. Oh Oh, yeah. Um, Same. I go online. I yell at someone. I go offline immediately. You know what I'm saying? Smart. I see, you know. You know, or you could do like me and just watch uh, dog videos <laughs> or dog TikToks. Well, it makes me feel like and I'm also, trying to do like some good in this world. And I'm very nice when I yell. I'm like, let's just like, God. let's just like, you look at like a tiny bit of a fact. Like, and then yeah. just like, you know, throw the, throw the, you know, plant the seed of fact and then move it right along. Move it right along. See, I just make fun of people with gifs and memes. I just be like, when they say something dumb, my, one of my oh, favorites yeah. is the Omar Epps. You know who Omar Epps is? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Omar Epps. He has a meme where he's like, really, <laughs> motherfucker? Really? <laughs> Ooh, I need to get on the meme game. That's a good idea. Oh, yeah. Because it's just or like Prince. eye roll, maybe. Oh, Prince. Yeah. It's just like, and Prince, Prince does one like, Mm-mm, don't do it. Nope. Like, you know, I, yeah. Let <laughs> like, us show I just, you. <laughs> I just clown people and then move on and then watch dog videos or, or bears too. I love bears. Um, okay. But none bears, of those, so. those animals can bake. So I watch baking shows. Yeah. Oh, that's see baking stuff. Cooking stuff makes me hungry. So it, it weirdly, I'm a greedy. Well, um, I'm so greedy. I don't think the word like, is greedy. I think the I word watch is somebody hungry. baking a cake. No, and I'm like, I think I need a cake. No, you didn't need a cake. Do you watch somebody make a cake? <laughs> well, it's just, like it's know. like cake season at my house right now because it was like my mm. birthday in September, and then the kids' birthdays are coming up, and well, we spoil them rotten, so each child gets a cake, which is stupid because you cannot feed. Like there's there's like going to be cake in my freezer forever. Oh, that's right. Because yeah. they're twins. Because mm-hmm. I was like, of course they. Oh, but they're twins. Yeah. No, you got to each give them a cake. Yeah, right. They got to get their own cake. Yeah. So. So, but well, I think we should get started. Bef- but before we do that, mm-hmm. Miriam, you have a correction or so, an addition to make. I have an addition, y'all. Okay, we did Nargis Mohammadi last week. Amazing woman, hero. Love her. Yeah. She also won the 2023 Nobel Peace Prize, quote, for her fight against the oppression of women in Iran and her fight to promote human rights and freedom for all, end quote. Now, you'd think that I would have said that last week, but I I didn't. <laughs> and I realized it's okay. today that while I had it in my head, I didn't write it down. So... <laughs> Listen, it's all good. It's all good I, in the hood. I'm getting too old to not write things down. It turns out. <laughs> <laughs> so for me. anyone who like listened to it and went, you really, that's it. That's all you have to say about her It's over. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. I apologize. I love her. I'm not mad that's about okay. talking about her again for just like a hot minute because she's uh, 
like she should be talked about everywhere all the time. She should go down in every history book in every nation. Um, so that's, you know, starting here at the Notorious Women podcast. Um, but just, you know, hashtag not historians. Um, hashtag not historians. I think we made that pretty obvious yes. this week. Um, so thank you. But, and I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, don't don't beat yourself up. I forget. I sometimes... Even when I was a kid, though, I walk into a room and I'm like, what did I come in here for? All the time. And your parents are like, yeah, why did you come in here? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I totally do that to my own children. Like, what? Yeah. Oh, I love you, baby. Sorry. Mm. (laughs) Thought I was going to be able to read a whole sentence, but I was not. Never mind. (laughs) You are so funny. Well, I think on that note, we should get started. Yes, um, I think you are first Am this I? week. Awesome. So who is your notorious woman this week? Okay. Did you ever see the movie Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken? No, I don't think it's so. It's like in the 90s. I loved this movie so much. And I was like, I wonder, mm-hmm. I wonder who she was was it real wonder i'm sorry (laughs) i'm sorry i couldn't resist i'm such an asshole listen i'm not arguing that what okay i'm just kidding (laughs) i love you and i love that song (laughs) so so this woman today a woman named sonora webster carver so let's talk about sonora she, okay, Sonora Webster Carver. Yeah. Okay. And PBS has a, a thing on her that I got this from and like Wikipedia and some other articles. But um, so she was born in 1904 to a working class family in Waycross, Georgia. Um, she was one of okay. six children um, and she loved horses, basically. Like she just grew up loving horses. She would skip school to ride them. Uh, apparently when she was five years old, she tried to trade in her little brother for a horse that did not go very well. (laughs) Um, and then when she was 19, she read an ad in the paper. So it was 1923 in Savannah, Georgia, that the, that the ad was the following, an attractive young woman who can swim and dive, likes horses, desires to travel, see Dr. Carver. So her mom suggested that she go. Uh, and she was like, nah, I don't want to. Um, and I, I just have to point out, because I feel like we're thinking, that she, this is a white Christian lady. So like, while she was a woman, the world was still like possible in a way that was not for like a lot of other people, especially in the South. I'm just going to say it. So... um. She went to a. That's true. You know, I think about that a lot. I feel like we need to talk yeah, about true. that when we can have that conversation. Doesn't knock and negate her amazingness, right? But, yeah, of course. You of know. Course. Yeah, I agree. Though. You know, it's just like throw it out there. Yeah. Um. Yep. So she went to a state fair and she saw them diving horses. And then she was like, oh, that that is cool. Now, honestly, I can't describe diving horses exactly. I, I'm going to try, though. I said I can't. I'm going to try anyways. Uh, you don't get anywhere if you don't try. Right. OK. So there's this like there's like l- like platforms that the horse runs and gets speed. And basically the diving woman 
jumps on the horse at the last minute and the horse dives off and lands in like an 11 foot deep pool. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Apparently in this case scenario, her horses were treated pretty well. So I'll get in, into that later. But um, anyway, so she saw that performance and within months she joined them. So this was the era of like vaudeville, right? The 20s. And Wild West shows were like massive. And Dr. Carver was the gotcha. one who started all these Wild West shows. So he created this one. So it was like Wild West meets like a pool, right? And like a cute girl. So um, this was also a time where like, you know, where women were allowed to sort of be athletic and be like aggressive in the Wild West, like Annie Oakley and Calamity Jane. Um, they were they were they were athletes. They were considered athletes. Um, so, so I mean, so that's good, right? We got like a little bit of good and like a lot of bad. I'm gonna yeah. You know? I mean, because you have to be uh, you have to be strong to be in the Wild Wild West, yeah. even as a woman. A Philly. <laughs> and listen, a Annie Oakley and Calamity Jane are the leads characters in two really good musicals. So I have no point. I just wanted to say that out loud. Thank you for listening. Okay. So, so she began training and she got really good. Now, when you, if you're a horseback rider, like you have bridles and you have saddles. Well, she had to learn how to ride bareback because... Um, the, the horse has to have nothing on it. Um, but she did wow. it. Yeah. Right. I can't even That's imagine. Yeah. Listen, put me on a horse right now with all of the accoutrements and like a horse trainer. And I'm still petrified. Okay. Just to. You and me both. You yeah. know, like I just feel like I can just watch them. And I've been on a horse a couple of times, like in my life. And I feel like I'm good now, you know? <laughs> Um, so on May 20th, so she's, she's joined Carver's troop. So it's a smallish troop. Um, so May 20th, 1924, she made her debut jump at an amusement park in North Carolina. It was a 40 foot dive, 40 feet up in the air. Now, 40 feet. I get dizzy from five feet. Oh my Lord. Listen, so there's this pool in my neighborhood and they have like diving boards and one is the low diving board and one is the high diving board and the low diving board scares me a lot. I do it, but I cry a little <laughs> and I'm scared a little. Okay. Funny. So bring it back to my reality. Um, so She'd been doing this for about three years when Doc Carver died in 1927. So Doc Carver had adopted a son, Albert. Everyone called him Al. And the movie is all about them falling in love. I don't know if it's true to what happened, but they did fall in love and she did marry him the next year. So a week after they were married, uh, he booked them a season at the Atlantic City Steel Pier. And the Atlantic City Steel Pier in that era was massive. Thousands of people would show up. Uh, she would do like five shows a day. Um, and it became one of the most iconic acts uh, at the Steel Pier. Now, her sister, Arnette Webster... 
Arnette Webster French, she did get married later, followed in her footsteps and she became a horse diver and she joined the show in 1928. So in 1931, she'd been performing for seven years when an accident happened. So she was, I mean, it's a very dangerous gig, right? Yeah. But she'd never had an issue. And this one time, oh. uh, it was a, it was apparently a balancing issue where something happened with the horse. So she wanted to protect the horse. So she leaned back and she ended up hitting the water with her eyes open and it detached her retina. <gasps> yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's bad. Oh, my Lord. Ooh. So then she decided, so tenacious, that this wasn't going to stop her. So she's fully blind. She can't see anything. And she decides to start training herself to do the shows blind. No. Yeah. And so she she's she talks about how she decided to make it a minor issue and not a major issue. I would be like, <laughs> I would be not that. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. So in 1932, which was like less than a year after the accident, she made her comeback. She continued to dive blind for 11 years. 11 years. Are, yeah. Uh, one one. A one one. One one. One year. one. Mm-hmm. One one years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Not like one sure. more time. No. Eleven years. Uh, she had a rope that guided her to her horse because she didn't want someone taking her out there. She didn't want to feel like an invalid. Uh, she talks about how the dives did not always go smoothly, but she never hurt herself more than she once sprained her ankle. Every other time, she was fine. Um. Wow. And there's a quote her sister explains her decision to continue riding. Um, She says, quote, riding the horse was the most fun you could have and we just loved it. So we didn't want to give it up. Once you were on the horse, there really wasn't much to do but hold on. The horse was in charge. So her sister actually left the show in 1935, but Sonora stayed with the show till 1942. Um, and the show ended because of the war. A lot a lot of those things were, were put down. There was also a lot of yeah. animal activism at the time, which I did not realize animal activism had started so long ago. Um, and the ASPCA would send their vets to them a lot. But according to like... You know, according to Sonora and her sister and and I think some surviving paperwork, the animals were found to be in very good health and they were they were very well taken care of. Um, I'm inclined to believe this because she loved horses so much. Yeah, I would imagine when you work with them that closely, yeah. that you become very attached to them. Yeah. And to do something yeah. this um dangerous you got to work with a horse yeah and uh if they don't like you they'll tell you so i don't know i don't know anything about horses listen do you remember the show spirit you you might not because it was a children's show about five years ago (laughs) no no (laughs) i loved it like loved it longer than my kids loved it my kids are like, mom, it's for babies. I'm like, this is not for babies. I need to know what happens. Um, but I do think there is a reality to like, to, there is there is animal cruelty in this world and it is problematic and I condemn it 100%. But um, 
but I'm but I don't know. I I like to think that they they took care of them. So, in 1942, they moved to New Orleans. She worked as a typist for the Lighthouse for the Blind until 1979 and became very active as, a, as an advocate for the blind. She promoted independence. She was very inspiring to a lot of people. And she was fiercely determined to be a self-sufficient, capable woman despite her blindness. So, there are many women now, today, who ride horses. They do dressage and other horse words that I don't know, blind. You know what? No, but I know what dressage is. You know what that is when the horses dance. Oh, that's so cool. They do that. Yes. That was in an episode of Spirit. I just knew that because. Sorry. Oh. (laughs) I just knew it because I was reading something about somebody really, really rich. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It takes a lot of money. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um. But she's she's an icon to these people and she, and also for other pe- women who do dangerous things like th- these kinds of, 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 of I think it's dangerous because I'm a mother, but like like there's Olympic style um, horse. I don't know, not racing, but other things. Listen, I don't have a lot of words today. But the point is, she's very <laughs> inspirational because she did it blind in the 20s and 30s. So like, yeah. you know, um, wow. so she wrote a memoir in 1961 called A Girl and Five Braid Horses. Five Brave Horses, and that was made into the movie Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. She talks about how the movie is like, well... I did ride horses and I did keep doing it when I was blind and I did marry the guy, but everything else is not true. Um, <laughs> but that's okay. I still like it. It's okay. Um, and then she died September 20th, 2003 at the age of 99. Wow. Yeah. What a life. I know, right? That is crazy and amazing. I know. You know? It's, I mean, she's really... She's really inspirational. I was just like, I got to talk about her because she had like yeah. the world kind of stacked against her to a large degree. And she just didn't see it that way. Yeah. I mean, it, it just not not everybody. I mean, I honestly, I wouldn't have blamed her if after that terrible accident, she was just like, yep, I'm done for. I'm just yeah. going to go and like get a small place and chill at chillax. Yep. <laughs> I wouldn't have blamed her because that is like such a freak accident. I mean, yeah, yeah, you're in a dangerous uh, kind of um, or not kind of, but you're in a dangerous profession and with a dangerous activity. But that's just a very specific kind of. Yeah, that that kind of moment. Yeah. Yeah. So but wow. 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 What's her name again? Sonora Webster Carver. That's a great name. Isn't That's it a like great a, name? I know, right? It's a great name. Well, thank you for that. Um, well, we go from Sonora, who's heroic and mm. inspirational, mm. to uh, my notorious lady. <laughs> <laughs> that feels You're like so a Thursday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, my notorious lady this week is, uh, you know how, like, before I tell you, you know how, like, um, we did... Uh, last week I did Linda Taylor. Yes. Right. Okay. So I'm going to go on the other side of the railroad tracks, <laughs> uh, and I'm going to cover this week Nancy Reagan. <gasps> oh, okay. 
I'm like excited yeah. and scared. Okay. Woo. So let's dig in because obviously Ooh. there's a, a lot into it. So I'm going to try and get through this uh, and try and make brevity my friend. So, um, so Nancy Reagan. Uh, and so some of my sources uh, from today's um, story come from a YouTube channel, which is very interesting. I'm going to s- subscribe called Facts Verse. Ooh. Uh, verse with a V. Um, another channel called the time travel artist Oh, and where they sort of do, they put in like, kind of like a, it's like a family tree kind of, it's very creative how they do it. Um, okay. uh, a 60, a 60 minutes interview with Mike Wallace from 1981 and from the PBS news hour among other sources, but those are my main sources. Okay. So, um, now Nancy Reagan was born Anne Francis Robbins on July 6th. 1921 okay, so in New York City. Why did anyone ever call her Nancy? Go on. Okay. I'm, I'm already mad. So, Sorry. <laughs> now, it's noted that she usually gave July 6, 1923 as her birth date through most of her life, but they've confirmed that it was 21. Oh, okay. Um, now, she was the only child of Kenneth Seymour Robbins, who was born in 1892, by the way. Oh, so damn. her father was born in 1892. Uh, a farmer turned uh, salesman and his wife, Edith Prescott Luckett, who was born in 1888. Damn. Yeah. So, and Edith was a uh, an actress of some note. She okay. became an actress of some that note. That makes now, sense to me. Though she was born as Anne Frances Robbins, from birth, she was commonly called Nancy. So it's just a nickname, but okay. it stuck. Okay. So now after her birth in Manhattan, I would have never thought that Nancy Reagan was born in Manhattan. No, not at all. Um. She lived her first two years in Queens, Flushing, Queens, in a two-story house on Roosevelt Avenue between 149th and 150th Streets. Oh, that's like my family's hood at one point. So very modest uh, background. Now, her parents separated uh, soon after her birth, so and they eventually divorced in 1928. After their separation, her mother traveled the country to pursue acting jobs. And that left little Nancy um, to live with uh, her aunt, Virginia Luckett, in Bethesda, Maryland, and her uncle, Audley. Okay. So later in life, she described longing for her mother during those years. And she was and she said about that time, quote, my favorite times were when mother had a job in New York and Aunt Virgie would take me by train to stay with her, end quote. Oh, that is sad. I mean... Yeah. So, but I mean, I'm assuming the mother had to make a living. So she had to go on the road to make, you know, ends meet as an actor, you know, because again, this is 1920 something. It's not a lot of jobs for women. No. Yeah. Um, So she could probably make more in, you know, on the boards, uh, you know, on stage than she could just trying to get like a, it's probably just house cleaning jobs, you know, unless you had education and even then. Being a teacher was was, was yeah, the best was you could hope say. for for a woman, even a white woman. So yeah. Um, now in 1929, her mother Edith I, and I said here she moved on up to the east side <laughs> when <laughs> she married a wealthy man by oh. the name of Loyal Edward Davis, who was born in 1896. Oh my god! Uh, a conservative neurosurgeon. Mm. who moved mm. the family to Chicago. So yeah, Edith came on up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Now, 
uh, thank God, little Nancy and her stepfather got along very well. She she later wrote about him that he was a, a man of great integrity. Okay. Uh, and he exemplified old fashioned values. I quote. knew it. I knew it. This conservative neurosurgeon that she's inspired. OK, go on. Yeah. Now, he formally adopted her in 1938, so oh, 10 wow. years. So they were very close, and she basically, that was her dad to her. Okay. Now, at the time of her adoption, she legally changed her name to Nancy Davis. So she took his last name and then changed it to her nickname. Oh. Okay. Okay. So while in Chicago, living with a neurosurgeon on mm. the east side, I don't know if the east side is a good side, but anyway, I have no idea. Uh, the fancy side, she attended uh, the Girls Latin School of Chicago and then later went on to Smith College in Massachusetts, where she majored in English and drama. OK, I'm not now, mad while yet. Still in, <laughs> no, now, while still in school, all of this is very pleasant. Yeah. She she appeared in a National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis uh, as a volunteer in a memorable short film uh, about like the whole crusade against polio. Oh, okay. Um, to I mean, to at least uh, to raise funds. I mean, uh, correction, raise funds for the fight against polio because yeah, people, polio used to be a big fucking problem. Wait, are you That's saying why that we take vaccines? Wait, so she supported a vaccine? Mm-hmm. Interesting. She was eh, just yeah, pointing so. that out there. Okay. Now. It, it could have been from her mother, um, Edith, or just, you know, being in this this thing. But she got the acting bug, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so after after she after college, she graduated in 1943. She toiled away as, as a sales clerk in Marshall Fields and as a nurse's aide until she uh, begged her mother and her mother, I guess, probably relented, asked her mother to, you know, ask some of her former colleagues, yeah. acting theater buddies. Uh, including Zazu Pitts, Walter Houston, and Spencer Tracy. Oh, hey, okay. To help her daughter get a professional acting I role. I mean, nepotism, so, anybody? I'm just, you know. I know. That's all right. Yep. So little Nancy wanted to be in pictures. Mm. Um, whatever her mother did, it worked. So with these, the help of these friends, Nancy actually moved back to her hometown of a uh, place of birth to New York yeah, City. Hometown. And landed and started landing theater roles, including a production with a pre-fame Yul Brenner. Oh, my God. I didn't know, I know. any of this. OK. I didn't either. <laughs> now, so things went on like this for a few years. Um, and then in 1949. So she after passing a screen test that was set up by Spencer Tracy, because by this time he's a big star. Right. She was able to move to California and signed a seven-year contract with MGM. What? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess I know how she now, met Ronald, but now go on. <laughs> now, for our listeners, this is a big fucking deal. Yeah. This is very hard. A lot of actresses would come to L.A. from Podong, wherever, without any connections and they would be like party girls they would go and like like be seen dancing so they can get attention to get a contract but to get a contract with MGM which is a top studio was a big fucking deal and it was directly related to Spencer Tracy asking um, and for the screen test so just even get an audition for uh, at a shot at a, a, a seven year contract and so for those of you who don't know this is basically the old studio contract uh, system is how they will basically pay you to uh, to be on call for any yeah. projects or tra- or things that they wanted you to do and they would pay you weekly 
And usually out of that, they would also you would pay for like um, uh, dance classes, singing Mm -hmm. lessons, acting classes. Uh, But it was a pretty sweet deal. And then, of course, once you were in, like, let's say you were in a hit, then you could ask for more money every week. Right. Basically, this is a sweet, sweet deal. Seven years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sweet, sweet deal. She's like Spencer Tracy's girl, you know, like. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and she was and she was. When you see her as a young woman, you don't recognize her at all. So she doesn't look like what in our minds, most of us, she looks like what she looked like in the White House. Yeah. That's coming up. But she she was an attractive woman. I wouldn't necessarily call it like she wasn't like Hedy Lamar beautiful, but she was attractive. She was okay. cute. Yeah, I, I could say. see that. She was cute. She's a cute brunette. Now, of course, this was exciting for a young woman because this is huge. She later she later said of that time that um, about that time, quote, joining Metro was like walking into a dream world, end quote. OK. Um, her combination of attractive appearance centered on her large eyes and somewhat distant and understated manner made her hard at first for MGM to cast and publicize. She began appearing in movies and was usually typecast as, quote, loyal wife a uh, responsible young mother or the steady woman. Some of her contemporaries' uh, competition were Jane Powell, Debbie Reynolds, oh, Leslie Karen, and Janet Lee. Okay. Uh, so she was competing with these actresses for these roles. Now, during her Hollywood career, she dated many actors, including Clark Gable. Oh, which wow. is, uh, That was a king of Hollywood. Uh, right? Robert Stack and Peter Lawford. Um, she later called Gable the nicest of the stars she had met. Oh. Um, now a lot of times it could have been that they they paired her with Clark Gable yeah. to get her some to up her her sta- her uh, profile. Um, you know they used to do that back then. So I think they still now, do that. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. they still do that too. Now, according to the YouTube channel Facts Verse, she was reportedly around this time nicknamed the BJ Queen. What? During her early time in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> this is unsubstantiated. Now, this is allegedly <laughs> un- unsubstantiated. Um, I need, but it, I need it like, mainly. I need like several minutes. Go on. <laughs> I know. But it mainly came from her reported dealings with the with known casting couch predator, Benjamin uh, Shaw. I, I think Show. Uh, head of MGM casting. Okay. So this guy was just like a predator. He was yeah. like, yeah, you want to, you want to part, you want to part, you, you got to come in and spread the legs. Like he, yeah, was the Harvey Weinstein of his yeah. time, apparently. The dickwad. So now with all that said, on November 15th, 1949, she met Ronald Reagan, mm. who was then the president of the Screen Actors Guild. <laughs> Could you imagine if he was now? Oh, there my would God. Be no I, strike. I can't even imagine. There would just be no strike. Yeah. No, no. Now, she had noticed that her name had appeared on the Hollywood blacklist um, huh. and she made she sought out his help through a director friend of hers. Um, and because if you're on the blacklist, that means you can't get any work. Yeah. At all. So she hooked up with him and he he suggested that they go to dinner to discuss it. And he later informed her that she had confused that she had been confused with another actress of the same name. Oh. OK. Yeah. So, um, so the two began dating uh, shortly after that, and their relationship was the subject of many gossip columns. Okay. Um, now, Ronald was skeptical about marriage because he had recently divorced from the actress Jane Wyman in nineteen in that in nineteen forty nine. Really, he married Jane Wyman. Yeah. Okay. 
He was married to Jane Wyman, who is so interesting because they favor very much. Like really? when you see them, they're both petite. They both have large eyes. They look a lot alike creepy. around this time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now when he, so he, so he was just sort of kind of like casually dating her. And so he still saw other people. And apparently just like she had that reputation of getting around, he also had that reputation. Everybody's <laughs> fucking in Hollywood. I, I'm just I saying. Mean, they, everybody's fucking everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That's facts. Um, like I said, he was, he was a bit of a player, allegedly. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, now, after three years of an okay film career, again, she's still living the Hollywood dream because so many right. actresses don't even get to this level, particularly back then. Uh, she's still under contract. Uh, but MGM, uh, after three years, released her from her contract oh. in 1952. Oh, they released her after three uh, years? Even though yeah, it was a seven-year contract? Because it was just sort of... Mm. Yeah, because okay. it was just lackluster. Yeah. She wasn't getting in any hits. Now, but don't cry for uh, Nancy. I'm not crying Argentina. for Nancy Reagan. Nope. nope. Go on. Because Nancy had done landed her a man with a good, good job. Mm-hmm. Okay. A good job. He's a president of the, of SAG. All right. Ronald was doing A-OK. Yeah. Okay. So after three years of dating, she and he decided to marry. Um, now, the couple wed on March 4th, 1952 at the Little Brown Church in, in, the, in the San Fernando Valley in oh, okay. Los Angeles. And a simple, hastily arranged ceremony designed to avoid the press uh, because it was suspected Mm. that she was already Mm -hmm. pregnant with their first child. Yeah, you don't hastily have a wedding in 1952 without a baby on the way. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, to be fair, but to be fair, they dated, uh, they still dated for about three years. Listen, I'm fine with that. It's just like, Mr. and Mrs. Family Values over here, you know what I'm saying? I might be mm-hmm. I might be skipping some steps here, but anyways, go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, exactly. So they thought she, it was rumored that she was pregnant with her first child, Patricia Ann Reagan, okay. uh, later to be known as her professional name, Patty Davis. So, oh. um, and then who was born a little less than eight months later on October mm. 21st, 1952. Well, you know, anything's possible. But we know what happened. It is. Allegedly. Now, they would later go on to have two more children, uh, Ron Reagan yes. in 1958. And oh, actually, three more children, Maureen Reagan in 1941. Uh, and uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. And then they uh, he had two children from his previous marriage with Jane oh, Wyman. OK, so, I was like, yeah. what? So they had they time They had two children. <laughs> No, they had two children okay. and then he had two children from a previous marriage. So there's four children in total. Got it. Uh, Michael Reagan and uh, Maureen Reagan from his marriage with Jane Wyman. Okay. Now, though she continued to act after they got married, she downplayed her Hollywood goals uh, generally. Um, and from the beginning in 1949, she was quoted as saying, quote, her greatest ambition was to have a successful, happy marriage. Okay. And in 1975, she would uh, say, quote, I was never really a career woman, but became one only because I hadn't found the man I wanted to marry. I couldn't sit around and do nothing. So I became an actress in quote. Yeah. You just become an actress because you were bored one day. Sure. No, she's looking for. Listen, this all smells. Of, I'm looking for a rich husband like my mama. OK, I mean, Look, you ain't fooling nobody, Nancy. OK. <laughs> and I don't blame you. Get that cash, girl. Uh, yeah, there you go. There Ultimately, she was in about 14 films. Oh. So, but again, she, again, I mean, she actually kind of 
it was kind of perfect. She got an MGM contract, met a rich, a, a well-off husband, got married, but also had like a film career. That's I true. Mean, yeah, that's not bad. That's not um, bad for a woman who yeah. didn't really have, who wasn't really ambitious. That's a, actually, she made out very well. I'm a little, so. I'm a little annoyed, but yeah. I'm going to, uh, oh, it's, it's going to get yeah, worse. No, I like, I know, yeah. but go on. Yeah. Now, uh, much has been written about Nancy and Ronald Reagan's love affair. Um, <laughs> and many observers have described uh, their relationship as intimate. During his presidency, she was uh, often uh, described and known for her focused and attentive look termed the gaze that she fast festooned upon her husband during his speeches and appearances. She seemed smitten yeah. with her husband, and she also seemed to take to the very, very good life that he provided. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, because so that so they got married. She settled into being a wife and a mother, and eventually he he had an okay career, but he wasn't really. He never became a Spencer Tracy. Um, but after leaving um, uh, his post at the SACS uh, Screen Actors Guild, he went on to actually run for governor of California. He sure did. And won. Yep. So while serving as first lady of California during her uh, his two terms as governor, she attracted a lot of controversy in the 19 in the early 19 um, six, uh, no, in the 1960s. Early in 1967, after four months in the California governor's mansion in Sacramento, she moved the family into a wealthy suburb because of the, because of fire officials had labeled the mansion as a fire trap. Okay, that's now, fine. I'm though okay the, with that. Yeah, though the Reagans had leased the new house at their expense, the move was viewed as snobbish, and it generally started to get her negative attention. Listen, you know? I, I can get behind this particular thing she does. This particular yeah. thing that she does is totally what I would do. But we're not done. Yeah. Uh, now, they said also that friends of their family helped support the lease of the house. And, you know, and while they were building a new ranch style governor's resi residence in Carmichael. Um, now, the new residence was finished just as uh, Ronald Reagan was leaving office in 1975. And apparently Jerry Brown, his successor, refused to live there. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. there's there's some tea on that. All right. Now, again. During his his time as governor, she took on the more traditional role of campaigning, holding coffees, luncheons and talks. She oversaw personnel, monitored her husband's schedule and occasionally provided press uh, conferences. Um, she it, it's so funny. So she was known as like this dutiful wife. Now, this remember when we did Martha Washington and I was yes. saying that Martha Washington really was a good first first lady because she really kind of set the precedence of what a first lady could do. Yeah. And this really reminds me. I feel like Nancy Reagan read Martha Washington's <laughs> biography. You know what? I really do. I bet you she did. Like that feels yeah. absolutely right. Because everything you're saying yeah. that she did, I would do none of. I would do none of. Yeah. She and also I think similarly, like with Martha Washington and George Washington, these two actually were a good fit for each other. Equally terrible, I would say. But I mean, a good fit yeah, for each other. Like two puzzle pieces. Sure. Just like yeah. puzzles were evil. All right. Go on. 
Yeah. Now, in 1976, he ran for the presidency, um, and that is when he gave that speech for Linda Taylor. Yep. Uh, Linda Taylor about she one hundred fifty thousand dollars of mm. of money, which is uh, nine hundred thousand dollars a day's money from welfare and all this other stuff. And he really this is this is when conservatism was uh, had the veneer of that. Whenever they say respectability or old school ways or you know, old school values. This is that, morality. that uh, dog whistle talk. Yeah. Morality from two people who were in Hollywood and Fucking by around. all accounts. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, now he, so he did not win in 1976. Uh, he lost uh, against Ford. Yep. But in 1980, he did succeed at becoming president and uh, he won the nomination and defeated Jimmy Carter in a landslide. Now, during this time, her influence on her husband that began in the governor's mansion became particularly notable in her presence at rallies, luncheons and receptions uh, that seemed to increase his confidence. Now, she became the first lady of the United States when Ronald Reagan was uh, sworn in as president in January of 1981. Early in her uh, husband's presidency, she stated that her desire was to create a more suitable first home in the White House. Okay. Um, now the building in this all by all by all accounts, the White House was kind of like it's supposed to be a modest house, basically, um, and it was in disrepair and from years of neglect because most people are like we're, we're civil servants, so right. it's not supposed to be too fancy. No. Um, but. In 1981, she directed a major renovation of several of the White House rooms, including all of the second and third floors and rooms adjacent to the Oval Office, including the press briefing room. The renovation included repainting walls, refinishing floors, uh, the closet, uh, you know, replacing pipes and and windows. It was overhaul. But she also uh, converted the closet and the master bedroom or primary bedroom, as we say now, into a beauty parlor oh my god and a dressing room and the west bedroom was made into a small gym wow you know she reminds me of she reminds me of marie antoinette (laughs) yeah who did basically the same thing on like the company dime you know Okay. I mean, listen, her mama had married up. She was living on, she she grew up on neurosurgeon money. Okay. Oh, yeah. So let's not forget. Okay. <laughs> now she liked the finer things in life. So while in the White House, she also spent a lot of money on decorations that she said was paid by private donations. Mm. Um, again, the renovations and these decorations received some criticism uh, for being funded by tax deductible donations, meaning some of it eventually was indirectly being paid by tax paying people. Yeah. Um, yeah. She again, her husband led a crusade in 76 against welfare fraud. Yep. And a welfare queen <laughs> of a woman wearing fur coats and being flashy. Uh huh. While his wife also liked the finer things in life. Now, she loved her fashion. Yes. And actually, her fashion became one of her trademarks. Her wardrobe consisted of dresses, gowns, and suits made by luxury designers, including James Galanis, Bill Blass, and Oscar de la Renta. I thought that the president was supposed to make, like, so much money that you would be ridiculously wealthy. Interesting. No. Okay. Now... Her white hand-beaded one-shoulder Galanis uh, dress 
uh, from the 1981 inaugural uh, ceremony was estimated to cost about $10,000. Oh, my God. And 1981 money. And Damn. I did not do the calculation, but it's not $10,000. It's $175,000 okay, right now. It probably yeah. is. Like, seriously. Now, while the overall price of the uh, wardrobe was said to cost around $25,000. So she's spending money on oh, clothes. Fuck. Okay. Now, in many press accounts, uh, her sense of style was favorably compared to that, of course, of Jackie O. Yes. Jacqueline Kennedy. Yes. Um, and being a f- the fact that she was a former actress, that she was even more comfortable than most first ladies since Jackie O in front of the cameras. Uh, White House photographer Mary Ann Fackelman Minor uh, was assigned to the Reagan. And she said of Nancy Reagan, quote, she always photographed so easily and was at ease in front of the cameras. She employed two private hairdressers who would style her hair on a regular basis in the White House. Wow. End quote. That sounds nice. Okay. She, yeah. So again, you're criticizing a woman for being extravagant and yeah. Yeah. Um, now this love of the finer things, like I said, it did cause criticism in 1982. She revealed that she had been, that she had accepted thousands of dollars in clothing, jewelry, and other gifts, but defended her actions by stating that she had borrowed the clothes and that they would either be returned or donated to the museums and that she was promoting the American fashion industry. Oh, she's not wrong there. (laughs) Okay. Um, but there's a way to do it. Uh, again, she's not wrong there. So also because remember before that, you're looking at the Carters who were very like humble people yeah. who actually come from very rich stock, but they were very sort of humble people from Georgia Yeah, uh, and their mannerism. So now um, facing the criticism, she said she would no longer accept such loans. Okay. Uh, but allegedly... She continued to borrow and sometimes keep designer clothes throughout her time as first lady, which came to light in 1988. So, you know, none of none of it had been included on the financial disclosure forms. What? The non-reporting of the loans under $10,000 in liability was in violation of a voluntary agreement in the White House Hmm. that had been made in 1982. So while not reporting more valuable loans or clothes, uh, not returned was a possible violation of the Ethics and Government Act. But I thought they stood for values. I'm so confused. Okay. Now, Nancy said that she expressed uh, through her press sec- secretary, quote, regrets that she failed to heed counsel's advice on disclosing them. Mm. So somebody even warned her, like, yeah. girl, this don't look good. And she was like, oh, the peasants. I don't, yeah. No, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> but she's, she's definitely given off the peasants kind of thing. Oh, now, yes. Now, when it came to the White House resident staff, uh, they reportedly they found her to be demanding to work for. Um, And during preparations for the state dinners with uh, Nancy overseeing every aspect of meal presentation and sometimes requesting one dessert after another to be prepared before finally settling on one she approved of. Oh, my God. She definitely got this Martha Washington. I'm lady of the manor kind of thing going on. Girl. Okay. Now. Yeah, because now, according to some reports, White House resident staff consider her not easy to work for with tirades following what she perceived as mistakes. <laughs> uh, one staffer later recalled, quote, I remember hearing her call for her personal maid one day and it scared the dickens out of me. Just her tone. I never wanted to be on the wrong side of her. End quote. I mean, you know, 
believe people when they tell you things. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, mm. she's a Karen. Nancy Reagan was a Karen. Come on. Should have changed your name to Karen. I'm just saying. (laughs) Now, the first lady is notoriously known for her just say no Mm, drug awareness campaign. Yes. Which in 1982 was became her primary project and major initiative as first lady. Yep. Her campaign focused on drug education and informing the youth of the dangers of drug abuse. Because in 1982, she was asked by a schoolgirl what to do when offered drugs. And she responded, quote, just say no. Now, that phrase proliferated the popular culture of the 1980s in the United States and was eventually adopted as the name of club organizations and school anti-drug programs. Yes. To get her message out, she traveled more than 250,000 miles around the United States and several nations, visiting drug abuse prevention programs and drug rehab centers. She also appeared on television shows uh, and public announcement service announcements. She wrote uh, guest articles. She appeared in an episode of Different Strokes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yep. I saw it. I remember it. And in a rock music video called Stop the Madness in 1985. But, you know, this for those of us, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with this whole just say no thing, it sounds lovely. You're like, well, yeah, she wants kids not to take drugs. Well, right? but ha <laughs> now the dark side of that is that um, on it, it led to like an over policing of certain communities, which communities, uh, Lavetta. Over over incarceration, because on October 27th, 1986, President Reagan signed a drug enforcement bill into law, Mm -hmm. which granted one point seven billion dollars billion in 1986 money Mm -hmm. and funding the fight uh, or the perceived crisis that ensured mandatory minimum penalty Mm -hmm. for drug offenses. So a little weed would get you a mandatory minimum. Uh, sentence. And this all led to an explosion of prison populations that mainly affected black and brown people. Wait now, a minute. You're not accusing saying, her of racism, are you? No, 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 tut, no, tut. no, no. I did, I did not say that, uh, my darling. Darling, of course not. But just keep in mind, oh Fawn Hall, you guys remember Fawn Hall, I, an earlier notorious woman. Go listen now. And that little thing, that little thing, yes, go and listen to that. Uh, at that little Iran Contra who controversy who? where we were found that the Reagan administration was selling drugs. What? <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. she's so full of so much so, shit. So ironic. I can't. I can't. Yeah. Oh my god. Now, yeah. So, yeah. Let that sit with you. So, now on a personal note, she assumed basically the uh, the role of unofficial protector for her husband after the attempted assassination because there was an attempted assassination right. of him in 1981 uh, on March 30th. Actually, he was shot by attempted assassin 25 year old John Hinckley Jr. as they left the Washington Hilton Hotel. Um, so after this, she was freaked out about it, which I can understand. Yeah. I'm not. I'm. I'm very empathetic. She started consulting San Francisco astrologer Joan Quigley, oh, who provided advice on which days and times that would be optimal for him for Ronald's safety and success. Okay. She became so enamored with Quigley that Quigley began to work at the White House in 1981 
as regular astrological consultant for the top administration. Um, Private lines were set up in the White House and in Camp David to assist in phone calls between Nancy and Joan Quigley, which occurred multiple times a day. And for her effort, she was paid $3,000 a month for her work. Google that. What's three thousand dollars a month in nineteen eighty one? I'm gonna Google that right now. Money. Listen, yeah, I'm in the wrong profession. That's all I know. So I'm gonna. T- I I'm looking it up. You keep talking. How much is that? Um, like in in nineteen eighty one, three thousand dollars in nineteen eighty one. dollars. Not a bad gig. I'm not mad not at a bad that. Gig. I'm not mad at that. Yeah. Get that money quickly. All you got to do is now, talk on the phone. I'm almost, <laughs> now I'm almost finished here. So now she wielded a lot of powerful influence over Reagan. In her memoir, she uh, stated, quote, I felt panicky every time Ronald left the White House, end quote. She also a- attempted to influence his decision making. And around this time, especially after the assassination, when she became more probably just protective physically, mm-hmm. press framing of Reagan changed from that of just helpmate of, of Nancy Reagan, of helpmate and, helpmate and protector to someone with hidden power. Mm. So at the end of her time as first lady, she acknowledged her role in the reaction uh, and her influence over Ronald Reagan by saying, quote, in no way do I apologize for it. End quote. She would go on later to write in her memoirs, quote, I don't think I was as bad or as extreme in my power or my weakness as I was depicted. Um, however, the first lady fits in. She has a unique and important role to play in looking after her husband. And it's only natural that she'll let him know what she thinks. I always did that for Ronnie and I always will. End quote. OK. Yeah. Sure. Now, I know. Now, I just so happened. I just feel like how Michelle Obama was demonized and yeah. called just militant just from for existing and being black. Uh, so literally. Um, yeah. So I just I just think that's just really, really interesting. Um, sorry about that. Let me turn this off. So now on January 20th, 1989, she and Ronald Reagan left the White House and they returned to California where wealthy friends purchased a home. Uh, in the Eastgate uh, Old Bel Air neighborhood mm. of Bel Air, California. Mm-hmm. And they divided their time between that estate and the Reagan Ranch in Santa Barbara, California. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. It's nice. Go like now, fuck up the world and then, you know, pick a house. And then retire yeah, to Bel Air. Yeah. okay. Now, after the White House uh, in late 1989, she established the Nancy Reagan Foundation and aimed to educate people. She also later wrote uh, her memoirs called My Turn, the memoirs of Nancy Reagan. Now, that same year, the IRS Ooh. began investigating the Reagans Mm-mm. over allegations that they owed additional tax on the gifts and loans of high fashion, jewelry and clothes. No, oh my. Wait a minute. While in the White House. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. In 1992, the, IR, the IRS determined that the Reagans had failed to include some $3 million <laughs> worth of fashion items between 83 and 88 on their tax returns. Wait a minute. I'm so confused. Now, Linda Taylor mm-hmm. was found to have 
cheated the government out of $8,000. 8000 whole dollars. The Reagans uh-huh. were found to have cheated the American public out of $3 million. Mm. I'm just, I'm just going to let that sit there. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's white privilege for your ass. I'm just going to say it. Yeah. White privilege for your ass. Yeah. Um, now, on June 5th, 2004, Ronald Reagan died. Following his death, Reagan, um, Nancy remained active in politics, particularly around the stem cell research. Yes. Uh, she also would host uh, Republican debates and, you know, she was still uh, adding to the Republican Party and supporting them. Um, on March 6, 2016, so some, oh my God, so some 12 years later, Nancy Reagan died of congestive heart failure at her home in Los Angeles at the age of 94. Wow, she lived a her, long life. Yeah. Her funeral was held on March 11th at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, uh, California. Representatives from 10 first families were in attendance, of course, including yes. um, Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, Rosalind Carter, you know, her her uh, her peers. The posse, as first if you will. Now, OK, the posse. <laughs> now, since 1982, Siena College Research Institute has done a first ladies sort of ranking. We did this for Martha Washington as well. And here's how Nancy Reagan ranked up. Okay. So in 1982, she was 39th out of 42. <laughs> in 93, she was 36 out of 37. Okay. So that went up. Okay. In 2003, she was 28th out of 38. And then 2008, it jumped up, I think probably after uh, Ronald Reagan died, she became 15th best of 38. And then uh, two years before her death, she became she remained fifteenth of thirty nine of thirty nine that they polled. So Nancy Reagan, uh, Martha Washington, two point oh, maybe. I mean, I think let's just say she was bringing some things back, you know. Yeah, I mean, but again, it's I think because we so remember her with her fancy stuff. And, yeah. And I vaguely knowing that they were actors, but it never really clicked. And then, you know, obviously Jackie O is is like right. the, the epitome of what people think a first lady should be because she was also very young and beautiful. Um, so that's why Nancy really kind of reminds it's, me of Martha it's, Washington. It's the hypocrisy yeah. that I mm-hmm. just Whoo, like that part that that part mm, mm, mm. and like you did it because you're racist you know like yeah that again it reminds me of martha washington yeah. like the whole like noni judge <laughs> yes. what they were trying to do to like get the harass this poor slave woman and young slave uh, enslaved woman and like nancy reagan but see this is the thing also like she didn't earn it necessarily. She married well. Right. And honestly, like Martha kind of, you know, I don't know. Martha had the money. She, you know, she came from the money. but she, From her husband. She, mar- she, she married well, too. She, but She did the work of marrying funded. the other guy first. But like, yes, like both of them just kind of like fell into the lap of luxury because they are white women from privilege. And then they're like, pull up your bootstraps. 
Walk yourself part. to the library and learn to code. You know, shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> not, not walk yourself to the library and learn do, to code. Do you remember this? Some senator did this. A yes. Lot. It's like, yes. oh, yeah. Like, I have a yeah. college degree. I can't go to the library and learn to code. So I'm not sure yeah, what that 14 year old is going to do. <laughs> girl. And also the hypocrisy of like, just say no while your <sighs> husband's administration is embroiled in like selling drugs. It makes me so mad. Arms deals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which led to a whole generation. And and we didn't even get into the, the ignoring of the AIDS crisis. I mean, that, and, that, there's, you that's know, a whole... I, that's a whole other episode like just ignoring like millions of people dying because you feel like you are morally superior while taking up to three million dollars in gifts i don't want to like, be like trash because i you know i alleged trash maybe she's alleged i just like what damn they yeah. just like i just yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, darling. They just like fucked it up, and then, and then went to to sit by the pool in Los Angeles. Yes, yes. <laughs> and just so you know, because I wanted to look this up. So nineteen, uh, uh, worth today. So one million is worth today. Uh, where is it? So nope. No, I can look it up. So you're I hate when they have you calculate three million like, calculate. I'm like, yeah, worth today. Million in. In when? Uh, I have it here uh, in. So they're saying that it is nine point two million dollars. So you got nine point two million dollars of free gifts, and your husband is upset over uh, welfare fraud that's not really happening. It basically the the Reagans did the whole like what Republicans trying to do like with the voter fraud thing. That's what they were saying about welfare fraud, and it wasn't going on. Oh yeah, but it yeah. fucking it's, worked. They're all about seeing stuff in. Uh, they're all they're all about seeing fraud and stuff that's not really fraud and stuff that is helping people. Except themselves. Guess like, what that covers? They would up. not call that fraud. No. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I forgot and also to mention. You could afford it. Yeah. Yeah. You could afford to. You know, our first lady Michelle Obama is wearing J Crew. Yes. And that was done on purpose. You know, it was done oh, on yeah. purpose because if Michelle Obama going around in in Oscar De La Renta all the time, they'd have something oh, to say about it. So. Yeah. 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 That's so, that's when they were. I you know. so. Call yeah. the authorities immediately. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I did, I did think it was interesting. I didn't know about, like you said, I didn't know about like the her earlier life and all that other stuff. But I also didn't know about the criticism that she did. She did get criticism from the um, the press about the lavish spending. But I feel like it was just sort of. I also think that's where misogyny comes in because he wasn't getting any of it, but she was. You know, and it's like, right. well, they're a married couple. They he also used to live in Hollywood. He liked the finer things Listen, in life. Listen, he was not mad about the situation. Like, let's be real. No. no. Also, the no, Iran Contra might, you know, like let's. Yeah. Yep. Also, the AIDS crisis. Yep. Like, wow, they just fucked it up. Okay. They just ignored every terrible thing because the eighties were really tough for the United States. The seventies yeah. and the eighties, like. 
you know, inflation and then the crack ep- epidemic, uh, cocaine epidemic, because we did Griselda Blanco. Yes, so cocaine was being flooded on the streets. But it was also like he, Reagan, had this trickle down economics mm-hmm. stance. Reaganomics. <laughs> that did not fucking work. Nope. Nope. You know? So while, yeah. So I just thought it was interesting. I started doing research. I was like, oh, so she's basically Martha Washington. Yeah. Do you remember, <laughs> do, you, do you know, did you ever see, there was this like mo- Lifetime movie. It wasn't Lifetime. It was like some movie of the week. And the movie of the week was, I was like maybe 12. The point of it was that, did you know that not all drug addicts are black? Did you, this, this was like... <laughs> Everywhere, no. I swear to God, the movie was like da da da. That's a rich white kid doing drugs. Like that was the premise of the. And I didn't keep watching it again. I was like twelve, flipping channels, very like, and they're like this couple. They are like just a couple. You can trace a lot of the problematic imaging and stereotyping mm-hmm. around black people in particular yeah. but working class and poor people um even also in the 1980s can go right back to these two people yes right he's talking about the welfare queen and she's talking about just say no yep. in the face of drug addiction is black and brown yep. and poor black you know and brown because 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 white poor people they don't really exist <laughs> It's yeah, like, they basically yeah, they do. A lot of them exist they basically and they're suffering demonized all yeah. black and brown people, not just poor, yeah. but all of them, right? And then ign- erased poor white people and that somehow people and then still ignored, love them. I don't yeah, understand. Well, and ignore the and ignore the the uh AIDS epidemic and the queer population altogether. They ignored but, dying gay people. They ignored them. Oh my God! But the yuppies, but the rich were getting richer. Uh. Rich were getting richer, so because they also had that Hollywood veneer, they had that Hollywood like, you know, Reagan could deliver a speech and da da da. He always looked funny to me. So when I saw yeah, him when he was younger, I, I was like, like oh, him. he wasn't bad looking when he was younger. But, uh, you know, but they, yeah, they fucking problematic like as a fuck so i thought it was very interesting though like a lot of that stuff i didn't know so yeah so that is nancy reagan for my notorious woman thank you so much and that is going to yes oh my pleasure my pleasure here to please uh hopefully our listeners also found that interesting and they will yes. uh, do all the things. They will follow us on social media. They will subscribe, like. They will also write us a five star review. Can you five stars? Can you guys do that for us? Five please, stars, please, with the cherry on top. Five stars. Five stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five, five stars. Uh, <laughs> And you can also support us financially because we don't have uh, the Reagan's money, no. uh, but we like we would like to. Yeah, or I like, mean, listen, I want to splurge. I want to get not just one Krispy Kreme. <laughs> maybe I'll get three Krispy Kreme donuts. Yeah, I was like, what, what three Krispy Kreme donuts? Okay, someone's fancy. Calm down. Oh, I wow, <laughs> that's like three. That's gonna be like seven dollars. Like, who do you think listen. you are? <laughs> Reading about Nancy Reagan, I have gotten inspired, okay, for okay, the good life. Okay. Oh, she's gonna like live. Okay. So if you guys want me to be and Miriam to live on the good life mm-hmm. by getting three 
Krispy uh, Kreme donuts. You can Delicious. you can go to our Patreon and support us uh, today. You can do that for as little as two dollars a month. Uh, you can also do a one time donation. But Miriam is also going to tell you other ways you can support the show through social media and other ways. Yeah, so we're on Instagram, Notorious Women Podcast. It's super easy to find. Um, we are also on TikTok. We're like TikTok people now. TikTok. Okay. Um, and you can also email us at notoriouswmpod at gmail.com with your thoughts or ideas or whatever things you want to share with us. We're good. You can also DM us on Instagram if that is easier. Um, and that is that. Yes, guys. So thank you for joining us for this uh, latest episode. Hope you enjoyed it. I, I think you did. I've decided uh, you did. I'm just kidding. You can tell me. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, guys, we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.